of a mustard seed, my friend. This is what my Lord has said.
quien ha medido en su mano los mares quien ha podido formar las estrellas quien ha logrado crear de la nada lo que existe y aún con su mano lo sostiene y por su inmensa gracia no lo deja caer. Quien da forma a los montes y guías al viento, iluminas al hombre y su pensamiento, revelas tus planes y tus secretos. Transformas la oscuridad con tu luz Eres tú, Dios eterno El que fue y siempre será Eres tú, Dios eterno El que fue y siempre será
know that we are in such crazy times, right? And it continues to get even worse from the perspective of the world. They make it seem like it's the world is falling apart. But we know, we trust, we trust the God. We trust the God that created this, this world. And this God that created this world also is very well aware of what's going on in this world. He was not taken by surprise when this uh, pandemic happened or broke out throughout the world. Now, let me share something that I want to wanna make clear. In these critical, scary at times, weird times that we're living right now, one of the things, actually the first thing you should be doing is, and you can't see me right now, obviously, but I'm holding up my Bible. You should see it through this lens. You, should, you have to see it through the lens of the Bible. Being aware of everything, not being, you know, hiding like an ostrich with the head on this in the sand. Be informed of what's going on around you. But again, see it through the lens of the Bible. And not only see it through the lens, turn off media, turn off the social media, turn off the news once you get informed of what's going on and get back to this book, the Bible. There are so many things happening in the world and here in the United States and even locally here in San Antonio, in the state of Texas, San Antonio, uh, that it's almost over, watch it, it is overwhelming if you don't have Jesus in your heart. If you don't have Jesus in your heart and you live and you hold out to Him, the world around you is going to fall apart. That's the best way I can put it. The nicest way I can put it. Yesterday, I'm not sure who of you um, heard about this or I pray that none of you watched this concert that went on uh, sponsored by Pepsi. The concert was called One World and it featured several, you know, up and coming, very well-known celebrities such as Lady Gaga Elton John, Ellie Ellish, I think that's her name, um, Stevie Wonder, I didn't even know he was still singing. Anyways, if you pay, if you didn't watch it, great, but read the article about what it's about. And now, once you read that article, look look for it, Just you can just Google it. Go back to the Bible and read what the article says and compare it to what the Bible says. Now, I'm not saying this so that you could get scared, but just to make you aware of what's going on. Just the title of the concert, One World, but it doesn't give you the rest of their agenda. One World Domination, One World Currency, One World Government. And it was supported by the left, extreme left wing. It was supported by the Pope. It was supported by Gates and so many other people that you should be paying attention very, very carefully. So this is a very critical time that we're living. Pay attention to what's going on around you and look at it through the lens of the Bible. 
I want to share something about uh, something that I found out about this a, a couple of weeks ago and I wanted to look it up before I shared it with you. Back in the 1900s in the east coast or, or not the east coast, off the coast of Scotland, there were two ladies. One, her, one of her names was Peggy and the other one was Christine, last name Smith. Now, around the early 1900s, they were already up in age. One was 82, one was 84. And these were godly women who would not miss one church service, one church prayer, body uh, in the body prayer. They would always go to church and they were very supportive of the ministry, very supportive of their pastor, praying for the church body, praying for their pastor. Now these women obviously became very sick by that age, so they were not able to leave their homes. One of them was so uh, severe that they couldn't even get off of the bed, and the other one was hunchback, so her, her back was arched so badly that she couldn't even walk. So what they ended up doing, both of them living together now at this age, there were two sisters, obviously there were, there were sisters, um, they began to pray at home. They knew that God could still use them regardless of their physical ability or, or, or illness. So they began to pray for God to show them what their next assignment was on earth while they were still here. So God put it in their hearts to pray for revival. And in the early 1900s, up until about the 1940 or so, 1950s maybe, and you can look it up. This is part of history. There was a great revival in the UK. Now, from the UK, the, one of these two ladies, and I can't remember who it was, they had a son who was very active in the church. So he was very active. He, he led, uh, actually, he was ministering to the people of the church that they belonged to. And God used him mightily, and in this little tiny church, there was a great revival that happened. And there was a Bible that he owned that that, that one of his, uh, I believe, one of these ladies gave to him because it was uh, his mom. Prayed over that Bible and said, I want you to have this Bible because this Bible, whoever holds this Bible, is going to bring great revival to wherever they go. Now, this Bible was eventually given to his cousin, um... Marianne Smith McLeod, who moved to the United States. And this Bible now, and I'll go back a little bit, this Bible now sits in the Oval Office, currently right now, sits in the Oval Office. But before it, it, it made it to the Oval Office, this Bible held by Ma uh, Marianne Smith McLeod, she kept it herself, and eventually when she got to the United States, she married. She fell in love with a man named Fred. They had three children. And the first, the oldest, was a, it's a female, and I can't remember her name. But in 19, 1946, they had a son. And this son was given this Bible early up early on in his childhood and they prayed again for that bible that whoever owned that bible will be used mightily by god to bring revival to wherever he was 
the God will be used mightily. Now, this son, born in 1946, is currently our 45th president of the United States. His name is Donald Trump. His father, Fred Trump, was the one that Mary Ann Smith McLeod married. And this president, you know, whether you support him, um, support him or hate him or, or whatnot, he is being used by God. God used Pharaoh. God used King Cyrus, if you've been with us on Wednesday nights. God used so many pagan people. And I'm not saying he's a pagan person. We don't know. Nobody knows anybody's heart. Whether he's saved or not, that's between him and God. But what is going on around, at least from what I've been hearing from different people that, that I'm in contact with, and not just here in San Antonio, but across the United States, is that there is a revival happening, especially in these past two weeks. And if you are only looking at or actually just listening to sound bites about hate Trump, hate this, hate that, he's white, he's whatever you say, you need to stop doing that and look at it through the lens of the Bible. I'm not saying support him, like him. No, I'm not saying that. But even the Bible instructs us to pray for those who are in leadership. He is the leader of this country right now. I'm not saying you should like him. I'm not saying you should vote for his reelection. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that God is doing something. And I truly believe that God is giving us one as the United States, one last chance. He's opening up the window one last time so that we can come to Him, so that we can bring in to usher all these other people that are still lost. There's so much going on again in the United States that is. I can't share it right now because this is about the study in the book of 1 Peter. So let me begin the study. Let me pray um, for the message and we'll get started. Father, Lord Jesus, we come before you and I pray that the words that come uh, through these airwaves, Lord Jesus, through this video, however it's, however it's getting to the people, Lord, I pray that they are your words, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is working exceedingly mightily lord and it's not about the church name it's not about the person speaking it's about you lord you you lord father speak to us through this message lord and we believe by faith lord in jesus name amen so read along with me chapter 2 of first peter we're going to be in first peter and second chapter and also we're going to be in third the third chapter but we're going to read together chapter two so get your bibles get your app ready first peter chapter two says therefore laying aside all malice all deceit hypocrisy envy all evil speaking as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word word that you may grow thereby if indeed you have tasted that the lord is gracious Coming to him as a living stone, 
rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer our spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will no, by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you, and this is speaking to us, the church, those who claim to be Christians, saved. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of, a man, of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bond servants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls.
In the preceding studies of First Peter and last week, Resurrection Sunday, we learned about our Lord Jesus Christ taking our place in punishment, being our substitute uh, as Exodus 21 verse 22 to 25 says, a life for life or tooth for tooth, an eye for an eye. So he replaced us. He put himself in our place. He became our substitute for death. He was submissive. He was willing. And he became the loving substitute for us, the sin sinner. Leaving us an example to imitate his life. In verse 22 it says, Who committed no sin, nor was the seed found in his mouth. We left off in verse, verse 24, but for context, let's begin in verse 23. Verse 23, and bear with me here. Verse 23, verse 23 says, Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. In verse 24, verse 24 says, Who himself bore our sins and his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. He, Jesus, died a sinner's substitute. He did not die as a martyr. He was not just a good man. He was just not, not just a good prophet, a good prophet. He died as our Savior. He saved us. He saved our life for eternity. Bearing, not only dying, but bearing uh, the sin, carrying the the shame only you know what the sin is the worst of the worst of the worst sins that you've ever committed he knew them yet he still died in my place in your place he took the filth and he nailed it to the cross the jewish people in that time did not crucify every single criminal that they arrested rather they would stone them to death and you can look into this in the book of Exodus, in the book of Leviticus, in the book of Deuteronomy. It specifies the laws as to when somebody commits a crime. And most of them were stoned to death. But if they were specially evil, meaning that was the worst of the worst crimes they could commit, they will crucify them. And this was a mark of shame. As Deuteronomy chapter 21 verse 23 says, and this was considered a curse. In other words, not only was he cursed being hung at the cross or, or, or on a tree, but the rest of his family would be shamed because of what crime he committed. And you can read about this again the book of Deuteronomy chapter 21 verse 23 and also Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 that explains how he carried our shame and he became the curse. In the original scriptures, we do not, or, or they do not have divisions, or they don't have chapters. They didn't have 
chapter one, chapter two, we man put it in there just for reference purposes. So what Peter is reciting here are the words of the prophet Isaiah, and the prophet Isaiah, to me that sounds like a gospel. Sometimes I call it the gospel of Isaiah because it sounds like a New Testament book. Now turn with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 52 so that we can read together. And I'm going to ask you what you think this is. Obviously you cannot respond or you may respond through the, the, the chat. Now in chapter 52 starting in verse 13 it says, Behold... My servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. He shall, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider." Chapter 53, verse 1. Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or commonliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as they were our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers in silence. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from, from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked. But with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence. Nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He, was put him, he has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his land. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge my righteousness servant shall justify many. For he shall bear their inequities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many and made intercessions for the transgressors. Now, who, the passage that we just read, now my question is to you, who was Isaiah talking about? 
Who was he writing? Was he writing about himself? Was he writing about a nation? Or was he writing about another person? Who do you think that was? You can comment in the chat. Now, recently, I read an article from a Jewish publisher, and actually it was, uh, it's called jewishpress.com, regarding Isaiah 53. And the title of the article was called, On Friday, and I quote, On Friday, the rabbi read Isaiah 53, unquote. That was the name of the title of this article. So, as I was reading, and this is a very long article, as I was reading the article that this writer wrote, I got the sense that this writer was very angry. In the words that even at the opening statements of this article, it sounded like he was very angry at something or somebody specifically. And he referred to the he spoken about in Isaiah 53 as a representing representative of Israel. In other words, he was talking about he being Israel. And Israel being mocked around the world. He explains also how the sins that were put on this person were being put on the nation of Israel. Then sins all over the world being put on the nation of Israel. And they were punished when they went into captivity. That 70-year captivity. If you're with us on Wednesday night, you, you will be able to understand and follow. Or if you already know about this. But this is why it's very critical and you're going to hear me say this until you get tired. It is very critical. It is very crucial to read all scripture in context. Context, context, context. Read before, read after. Understand what the writer is talking about, who he is speaking about. In the book, in the New Testament, there are so many references to Isaiah 53 comparing and actually speaking about directly about Jesus Christ in the book of Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 John chapter 1 verse 10 Romans chapter 4 verse 25 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3 Matthew 27 verse 57 2 Corinthians 5:21 Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 Philippians Chapter 2, verse 9, Colossians, chapter 2, verse 15, Mark 15, verse 28, Luke 23, verse 24, and there's so many other scriptures. But they all reference Jesus Christ as this being the martyr, the servant, the slave, and not a nation. Christ was wounded that we might be healed. He died that we might live. And according to Romans chapter 6, we are dead to sin and living in righteousness if you abound in other words if you live in Christ in him now the healing that Peter is talking about in verse 24 in Isaiah 53 is not the the type of healing of let's wrestle with snakes let's get up from our wheelchairs because you have so much faith and because I command you by the name of Jesus Christ that's not the healing that Peter is talking about many years ago years years this is way before I got saved uh, I I went to this somebody's house where they were doing a healing service, and they called me to the front uh, to be healed or to be uh, released from whatever evil spirits were in me. 
anywhere. This is where you know people will go to the front and then somebody will be standing behind you and, and they will place your hand on you and then people will you know fall back and they will somebody will catch them and then they will be like flopping fish on the floor. So I went, I went to the front and, and I was just standing there and the person that was praying for me put their hand on my forehead and they saw that nothing happened and they tried to push me back even harder and I didn't fall. And then I finally said, is that it? Are you done? And I went back to my seat. Nothing happened. Well, that's not the type of healing uh, Peter is talking about. There are so many, and I still hear it, I, I've been to churches where in every service that's what they call that's what they claim come to the front and you're going to be healed if you have faith you'll be able to walk if you're paralyzed whatever if you have an evil spirit we'll cast it out right now this is not the healing that peter is talking about this is not about the circus show that he's referring to now in a in psalms chapter 103 verse 2 through 4 says bless blessed be the lord O my soul and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all our sins, all our iniquities, who heals all our dis diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. And this will fully take place when you receive our glorious bodies in heaven. In other words, all illnesses all pains will be gone now can healing happen can healing happen at a church service yes it can happen but it, it happens to the individual the, that's one of the gifts of the holy spirit the gift of healing but it happens to those individuals and not because they say i claim it i name it and claim it no because that is the will of god look at paul he had an infirmity he was you know, pleading with the Lord, it says that three times he asked for the Lord to heal him. And what did the Lord say on the third time? My grace is sufficient. So not everybody that is a Christian will be healed. There's a purpose for, for people who are afflicted. And not because God hates them, not because God is punishing them. There's a purpose for that. And each one of us have a purpose. Um, so again... When we do get to heaven, if you're saved, this is for the people who are saved. Those people who have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will be in heaven. And all these pains, all these headaches, these allergies, this, you, you, I mean, there's so many things that our bodies have wrong. All these will be gone when we make it to heaven. Now, every lost sinner, me, you we are all like sheep that's why we call the sheep that's why we call a flock we lose our way when we are not following our shepherd jesus christ and what is the one of the first things i usually hear and i'm sure you hear it too when you remind somebody or, or, or you yourself have said this when somebody's trying to reel you back in i know i know pastor i know the lost sheep wanders off for being ignorant or disobedient and gets into danger. Our good shepherd, our great shepherd, our chief shepherd will have sacrificed his life for even just one lost soul. Just one. 
years ago, years ago, and I remember exactly how long ago, I was uh, with another Calvary Chapel attending one of the uh, uh, live events that Greg Glory holds, uh, the Crusades. But obviously, it was I wasn't there present where Greg Glory was at. But they they live streamed it to the church where we're we're at, and it was a huge event that was put together. And there was one person that got saved at that event in that church that we were at watching this. And what the pastor said at the time, he said that all this that was put together was because Jesus knew that you, only one person, you were going to get saved. So all this was worth it. Everything that Great Glory did, all the other churches that were able to put this together and, and live stream it was for you for the one lost soul you in Luke chapter 15 uh, verse 1 through 7 it talks about how Jesus this is Jesus or, or, or the shepherds being spoken about here goes after the lost sheep in chapter 15 of Luke verse 1 says then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him and the Pharisees and the scribes complained saying this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, One man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it down on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice! With me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just just persons who need no repentance. What does that mean? The God rejoices, the heaven rejoices for the one lost sinner, and he goes after that lost sinner. And that could be you. That could have been you last week. That could be you right now. You're straying away from the Lord. It says that all of us, that includes you, that includes me, all of us have strayed away at one point or another. We'll stray away at one point or another. Because we're sinners. We're going to fall. Now, so what Peter's saying is that for us to follow our shepherd, we're supposed to be living godly lives. And we're supposed to submit in times of suffering. We're supposed to be following Jesus's, Jesus Christ's example. How? Well, he has explained to us already that we are to submit to authority. He has explained to us that we are to submit to government, to our supervisors at work. And now, as we go into chapter 3, he's going to speak to the wives. And I know, I know, wives, I know that your husband is not the best, may not be the best example. Or by now, if you've been together for, you know, over two weeks together, you probably got gone at each other's, you know, last nerves probably. But we're going to talk about the wives submitting. And later, Peter is going to address the men. He's more gentle, God, Peter, is more gentle with his wives 
than he is with the men and that should always be because more responsibility falls upon the man of the house to submit to God now going to chapter 3 of 1st Peter verse 1 says wives likewise be submissive to your own husband that even if some do not obey the word they would without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives now before I proceed with this verse of the next verses I would like to address the single people and those who are not married yet are living together as if you were for the believer anything that starts wrong anything that you think oh well you know eventually I'll get to it eventually I'll deal with it anything that starts wrong everything that is unequally yoked with God's Word it will come to failure at all times 100% of the time it will fail you can't you can't change God's Word to to accommodate you life your lifestyle and you may say I know pastor but I love him I love her they'll get saved someday or no we haven't touched the subject about you know Christianity no we haven't touched the subject or you may say I know pastor I know that's wrong but they're so peaceful they're so cute when they smile they have a cute dimple James chapter 4 verse 17 and this is the NIV version says if anyone 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 then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it it is sin for them since the start of history since the beginning of human uh, history we humans have tried to be crafty find a loophole trying to get out of God's Word and still be able to justify our actions just look at the Tower of Babel what did God do they were doing something good in the eyes of society in the eyes of the world but it went against God's Word it went against the nature of God why do I say this because because people that I know and I read about people who are close to to us and to you have tried twisting the following verses in order to for, to uh, fit their lifestyle choices and to justify them that is why again it is crucial to keep context 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 and not only for the single people but also for the married people to submit to be quiet you know, because I say so, woman, because the Bible says so, woman, that's not what the scripture is saying. The way Peter opens up this verse is saying, likewise. In other words, just like. Who did we just read about? Who did we just learn about last week? The sheep that was led away, who had no sin, who did not revile, just like Jesus Christ, willingly submitted in obedience to God's will. For this, for to this, you were called, the Bible says. And, and you may ask, wife, so I'm called to suffer, to put up with this man? This man that leaves his socks and dirty laundry all over the house? I'm called to this? 
I'm called to be in here in quarantine, you know, for over two weeks already and put up with this, you know, laziness. He's been watching TV for the past two weeks, nonstop. He's ran out of shows to watch on Netflix. <laughs> and he is during this crazy, weird social distancing time. Some of you have been together 24-7, which if you see the blessing in it, now you have the time that you say you didn't have to spend time with each other, to work on things together. Think about this. Most of you who, who were so busy, you're no longer late. You're not running late to church. You're not running late to drop off the kids at school. You're not running late to, you know, to go to work. Yes, I understand some of you are still working, but you're not running late to drop off the kids. You know, you don't have to go crazy as to, oh my goodness, what am I going to send them for lunch? A strange situation, it hap it's happening. It has been happening in our society today. We have more readily available information on the web, books, on, 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 your, on your device, through uh, Kindle, in all kinds of ways, YouTube, all kinds. Readily available information about intimacy, about marriage, way more than ever before. Yet, the divorce rate and then unmarried relationships rates continue to increase. And this includes the Christian uh, marriages and the Christian relationships, not only the secular, but one thing that I got to clarify that people usually say, you know, 50% of all marriages, be, you know, end in divorce. That is not true. However, their marriage or the divorce rate is continually increasing. Being saved, which is where you should begin whenever you begin a relationship being saved, being equally yoked, being saved does not guarantee 100% that your marriage will, will succeed. But it is commanded by God that a marriage should start equally yoked. He commands us, not just him, not just her, not just, oh yeah, we believe in God. No, you got to be equally yoked. Much of our learning comes by way of imitating what we see. Not so much what we we hear, but also by practicing what you have seen, what you have heard, what you read about. Yes, you will make many mistakes. Yes, you're going to fail. Yes, you probably will be ridiculed sometimes or laughed about. But as you practice it, as you continue to move forward with whatever it is that you've learned, you will be able to become better at it. I was recently listening to a, a doctor who, who uh, uh, specializes in child development and brain functions. And what he was saying, to summarize the whole thing that I was listening to, what he was saying that uh, in the first seven years of a child's life, it is probably the most crucial time of their lives, his or her life, because their body is learning to cope with the surroundings. It's, to, it's building their immunity, but also their brains. The brains, the, the brain is blank, and anything and everything they see, they touch, they smell, they hear, it'll become embedded into the person's being for years later to come. 
no matter how old they get, there's things that will stick to them forever and ever. I remember, and I'm already over 40 years old, and I remember that I was about one year old. And I, and I confirmed it with my parents. I remember when I was one year old, I remember seeing something that it was um, disturbing that that stayed inside my being. Obviously, as a baby, I didn't I didn't know what to do with what I saw, what I heard, but that haunted me all the way until was I was an adult. And until then, when I was an adult, I was able to deal with it. I learned what it was. I learned it through the Bible. I learned it through many pastors, many teachers, many books that I read about. But all these things that you hear, you touch, you smell, you see, you imitate. If we imitate the best models of this life that surround us, we will become better people. But if we imitate the wrong models, in other words, the world, it will cripple our lives and possibly ruin our characters. You have, all of you have good people that surrounds you. And what I mean by good people is solid Christian people. And those are the people that you should be looking up to. You, those are the people you should be asking questions about life. Not go to Google, not go to YouTube and DIY how to save my marriage. Not go to... Yes, there's are, there are great resources. But first, seek your brother and your sister. Seek the Bible. See what the Bible says. So it says here, wives, without a word. In other words, without nagging your husband, without I told you so, and, or without even throwing it in his face. See, I am doing what is right, yet you don't appreciate it. So without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. What type of conduct? Look at verse 2. When they observe the chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Now, let me read the same verse in the NIV version. It says, when they see the purity and the reverence of your lives. What kind of reverence? What kind of fear? What kind of chase? In other words, what kind of conduct? Your purity, fearful reverence to Jesus Christ. Not the fear of your husband. Not the fear of the world. Not the fear. No. Fear meaning submission, reverence to Jesus Christ. That's the fear that Peter, Peter is talking about. It quite, and that doesn't mean that you are not going to speak a word. It doesn't say that they're supposed to stay quiet, not say anything, not be just, you know, accepting every single thing that the husband is doing wrong. That's not what he's talking about. You have to be prudent. You have to be wise about how you conduct yourself. If you have questions, again, seek the counsel of godly people that surround you. Seek the counsel that are around you. 
I want to get more in detail about the next verses, so I will not get into them, but let me just read them. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. This doesn't mean that don't do your hair, don't go, you know, walking around all day long with your chanclas and you wake up in your PJs and your hair is all over the place, especially now that, you know, you're in this lockdown time. It doesn't mean either that you cannot wear makeup. It doesn't mean that you cannot do your nails, your hair. It doesn't mean any of that. What is saying here, and again, I'll get more into detail, Lord willing, uh, next time we're together, or not together physically, but next time we're studying this book. It doesn't mean that you cannot do that, but it means that your conduct, your reverence before Jesus is much more precious than anything else that you could do for your physical well-being. So... Submit yourselves, ladies, to Jesus as the example. It says likewise, as the example that he gave us. And it's not just for the ladies. We'll get to the men later. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that by your wounds, our souls have been healed, Lord by the wounds that you you took on the cross in our place lord jesus you healed us father we thank you lord jesus and, and we pray that during these crazy times that we continue to live in lord jesus that even more so now that we hold on to you so tightly lord so tightly that that we can actually feel you father Thank you again, Lord Jesus, for all you've done. Dying at the cross in our place, Lord. Taking our place. In your son's name we pray. And everyone in agreement said, Amen. I didn't hear you. Amen. <laughs> God bless you guys. And Lord willing, I will see you very, very soon. God bless.